Right, so we're still in James, but we're going to finish chapter 1 today. So if you open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to begin. Last week I ended at verse 18, but I could hardly, I didn't have the time to actually address verse 18, which again today I don't have time to address the last of our passage for today, but I wanted to go back to verse 18 because there's some good things in there that um, I didn't want to just skip over and just briefly mention. So I'm going to start reading in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. So of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he's religious and does, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so verse 18, I want you to notice that God brought us forth by his own will. It was not that he looked down upon earth and saw the people of God striving to fulfill the law, the commandments, and he thought, well, they're working so hard that they actually deserve my salvation. That's not what he did. It was an act of mercy that the Father sent his Son. It was a gift. It was a work of his grace. And this is important for us to realize that James sees this, that he declares this, that it was by the will of God that you and I have been brought forth, that it's not a thing of works. Because when we get into chapter 2, it might look like he's contradicting, but he's actually not. So today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been called forth by his word. We were born into sin. We had a rebellious nature. We were lost. We were hopeless. But it was God's own initiative it was his mercy, it was his grace that came to begin to reveal himself to us, to make himself known to us. Remember from our study way back, I don't even remember when we did John, we, we were through it for a long time, but what was the first verse in the book of John? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then he goes on to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christ. He came and dwelt among us. He is the exact representation of the Father. The Lord says, I want to reveal myself to my people, and I'm going to send my Son, who is an exact representation of me, so that they can begin to see who I am. They can begin to see my heart and my desire for them to walk and live in blessing. 1 Peter 1.3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God began that redemptive process of removing the rebellion from within our hearts. And I pray that as we go through the book of James that he will continue. He will continue because that's what he does. He completes what he started. But I pray that we will be people who are, have ears to hear and allow him to remove any remaining uh, rebellion or wickedness, these things that James has put off. A week, a few weeks ago, at a Tuesday morning prayer meeting, Anneke had forgotten her hearing aids. And so we're all praying. And then she says that at one point, I, I can't really actually hear what any of you are praying about, so I thought I'd just sit here and allow the Lord to speak to me and see what he's saying. And she began to say that she had this vision of rain coming down upon us. And she saw it as a cleansing rain, and she began to talk that she thinks this is a season where the Lord wants to cleanse us. And so I pray that we will uh, receive that and allow this, even just as Ron's talking about cleaning out his garage, and he's talking about working on himself. That's, such a, that's a teachable, humble spirit. And that's what we all want to be like, that, Lord, come, let your rain come, and let it cleanse us, let it purify us. So in our passage, it says that we become the first fruits. The first fruits of his creatures. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, the first fruits is often referred to. And it's the first, the ingathering of the harvest. And they were instructed, the first fruits that come in from your harvest, you need to bring it as an offering to God. The first fruits was sacred. The first fruits were to be set apart for God. And so you and I as believers, you're the first fruits. You're to be set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. How exciting is that? Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. That's just an example of where, the first, where that word is used. So spiritually speaking, not in terms of the farming and the, the harvest of a farm, but spiritually speaking, you and I are those first fruits. We've been set aside for the Lord and for God. So I just want to read verse 19 to 21 again. James says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we're just going to talk about these few verses for a little bit. And so James, he goes on to say characteristics that we're to put off, put away. We're to, to, it's, uh, the language actually in the original is like take off the soiled clothing. Don't let yourself sit in dirty clothes. We wouldn't do that. I, when I was reading this, I remembered a time I was on the uh, men's intramural football team. I, I was very athletic when I was younger, and I loved sports. I was a total sports nut. And so anyways, at Bible school, I was on the men's intramural football team. And one day, we played in the mud. We were covered in mud. And I thought back to that time of being completely soiled. Or think about men who are out working construction. They come home completely dirty. You want to get out of those clothes quickly. You don't want to just sit in them. You want to take a shower and get clean. 
And so he's saying, take off the filthy clothes. Anger is a filthy clothing. Don't, don't allow yourself to just wear it. Take it off. Get rid of it. So James, in the coming verses, in the coming chapters, he's going to begin to talk about what believers in Jesus Christ, those who are set apart, this is how we should conduct ourselves. So he starts off with the topic of anger. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Sometimes we respond to trials with anger instead of quieting ourselves to hear the Lord. And then in conversations with others, how many of you know that when you're in a conversation, maybe a heated conversation with someone else, someone says something, you get triggered. Anger starts to bubble up. What starts to happen? It's like the ability to hear is completely gone. All you're thinking about is your own defense. You're not trying to listen to understand. You're just getting your own defense so that the moment they take a break, you can break in with your rebuttal and you can respond. James says human anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. You know, even our best attempt at righteous anger is often not purely righteous anger. A while back, I was, um, I had a strong burden for the Congo in Africa. And I watched, I would get on the Google almost every day, the news that was going on in the Congo. It was like this burden that I just carried. And the atrocities that were going on in the Lord's resistant army that was just brutalizing people, murdering people, like brutal rapings. And I would pray and pray and pray and and uh, I wanted to go. I had done research. There's a, there's a hospital there called the Pansy Hospital and run by a Christian man. He's a surgeon. And so he repairs women. But it's like a, a place where they can come. They can find healing, not only physical surgery, but, but healing from the emotional trauma. And oh, I wanted to go there. I wanted to go there so bad. And then the Lord began to whisper into my heart. And he said to me, you can't go to help these women until you love the enemy. And I was like, what? And the enemy was the people who had brutalized the women. And he began to show me that part of the energy, part of the motivating energy behind my desire to go was still stemmed in anger, human anger, because of my own childhood upbringing and my own sexual abuse. And it was like he needed that to be purged. Because it was a fueling desire, which I didn't even want to recognize. I thought, my, I thought I was just full of righteous anger for the situation. But he began to show me that, no, it actually, there's a cleansing that needs to happen behind your motivation to be involved. And I don't know where I got the idea from, but I started uh, cutting out, taking, getting pictures offline online, and putting, I got a poster board, and I put pictures of soldiers, of Joseph Coney, the leader, who I prayed every day, Lord, will you capture this man? Would you get him? And I put a picture of him, I put pictures of the soldiers, some of them only boys, child soldiers who had known so much trauma themselves. 
And I put it on, when I worked at the other church, in my office, right above my desk, I posted this poster. And so I would sit there and I'd look at it day after day and I'd look into the eyes of these men who had committed such heinous, heinous crimes. But as I did that, the Lord began to do something in my heart. He began to purge out that human anger. And my prayers changed from capture them to save them. And you see, when we have human anger still rooted within righteous, what we think is righteous anger towards justice ministries, we're not going to be able to see the big picture of God because God's heart is not only to save the victims, it's also to save the perpetrators. But when human anger is mixed in, we won't be able to see that bigger picture. Anger from unhealed wounds can be so subtle. So how are we going to put away anger? How are we going to put off? How are we going to take that filthy garment off? You know, one could actually spend an entire day seminar on the topic of anger. So as I began to think about this, I, I felt like I'm just not even going to do justice to the topic today. I'm only going to talk about a few points. But in addition to obvious things like recognizing our anger, repenting of our anger, dealing with whatever forgiveness needs to be dealt with, there's a few roots of anger that we would be helped to recognize. And, our, and one root could be our insecurities. You see, the more insecure we are, the more easily offended we will become. And if you're one who is quick to be offended, it's like you're just throwing a log on the fire of your anger. See, taking offense is a defense mechanism. And it actually closes your ears to hearing, to understanding. So in those places of insecurity, we need to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be secure in you. Begin to heal those places that have made me insecure. Begin, give me a grace encounter that I don't have to be someone who I think I should be, but I can actually just be me. When the Lord begins to become our security, when others say things to us, about us, those thoughts don't threaten you. They're not going to stir your pot of anger. Their words won't define you. Because you're secure in Christ and Christ alone. And the words of whether blessing or cursing from others is not going to rattle you. It's not going to be what shifts you. And you can become someone who responds with a gentle anger or a gentle word that turns away wrath. As Psalm 15:1 says. So another root that's a common root for anger. Anger can also be a defense mechanism to cover up fear. But sometimes anger is born out of our need for control. It's our attempt to control that which we cannot. But we cross the line when we think our anger is actually going to produce justice, bring about justice. Because anger does not accomplish justice. But sometimes we think God's not doing his job. He's not defending, he's not protecting. Where's his justice? I don't see it anywhere. And so we step in to do his job. We use our anger to try to make something happen. Yet this disposition is never going to draw hearts to the Father. There's some of us today that need to hear the word Exodus 14, 14, that this says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. 
So James, he puts, this, he puts the word anger in the same sentence as being quick to hear and slow to speak. If you think about it, you can put off anger by being a good listener. People who are good listeners are usually people of few words. They pay attention. They want to understand the heart of the other person more than they want to share their own opinion. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So listening well to others gives you a better understanding of where they're at. When we listen, we may not make premature judgments that aren't even actually accurate. So we can put off anger by being quick to hear, to understand the hearts of others around us. And we can do that when we're not offended. We can take the time to hear. And James goes on to say in verse 21 that we're to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is to save your soul. So the word has already been implanted. It's there. But James says, now receive the word with meekness with a teachable spirit, with humility. So there's the possibility of having the word implanted but not received. The religious leaders of the day, they knew the word. Even for ourselves, we can be uh, people who will read the word each day. We'll go through it, we gain you know, more knowledge, but we haven't stopped to say, let it shine a light in my heart. Let it change me. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing to, the piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we're to receive the word and allow it to pierce us. Allow it to change us. Allow it to bring us into that process of sanctification where we become more like Christ. Receiving the word is going to help you become an overcomer of temptation. So James goes on to say, be a doer of the word. Not just hearers. Being a doer of the word is like actually receiving the word. And he gives the analogy of someone who only hears the word but doesn't allow it to change them. is like the man who looks at his face in a mirror. He walks away and he forgets what he looks like. Imagine yourself waking up in the morning. Crazy bedhead. I've got some pretty good crazy bedheads in the morning. My hair all over the place. But imagine looking at yourself in the mirror, you got some dried drool, you got the eye gunk, you got bad breath, but you look and you go, oh well, this is just who I am. And off to work you go. Who would actually do that? <laughs> or would you take some time to clean yourself up a little bit? before you head out? Would you take some time to brush your teeth so you're not quite so offensive? Or would you just walk away and forget what you look like? Think about what a real friend does. Say you're out for lunch on a lunch break. 
Last week after we set up for church, Kim, Jenna, and I, we headed over to Five Guys on our way home. And I had a lettuce wrap burger, and I love Five Guys because they're so juicy. But here I am eating my lettuce wrap burger. I got stuff dripping all over my face. What does a good friend do? Do they just let you go back to work with food all over your face? No, they say, hey, wipe your chin. You got mustard still there. And when you think of this analogy in the context of our heart, in the context of our character, how many of us get up day after day, and although our dysfunction is still showing, we don't care. And often to the world we go of our relationships, carrying our defects of character that only wound people. But we think, oh, well, that's who I am. If they don't like me, that's their problem. But James says, don't be a person who doesn't care about your soul. Don't be deceived. Actually realize that you need help. Don't be like the person who walks away. And I love the analogy that he used. Instead of walking away, what does he say? Be someone who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. If you want to see your physical body, what do you do? You look in a mirror. If you want to see your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, what do you do? What's the mirror? It's the word of God. You look into the perfect law, and it'll shine your heart back at you. It'll show you your anger. It'll show you your selfishness, your pride, your fears. It'll reveal the state of our heart. But that's such a good thing. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be apathetic towards the implanted word. For example, like if I read verse 19, say I'm sitting in my living room, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And I just pause. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me. You might suddenly think of the time you just yelled at your spouse or your friend. He might show you how you've harbored anger and you've just passively allowed it to brew in your heart towards another person. You say, oh Lord, my attitude is so ugly, help me. By your grace, will you help me? When we acknowledge, when we've actually heard the Spirit, we can then acknowledge our sin. We can then repent of our sin. Why is the word called the law of liberty? The Old Testament law came with no provision for them to walk it out. They couldn't, they strived, strived, strived. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. <laughs> strove. <laughs> strove, strive. They became a slave to it. But Christ came to fulfill the law. And we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he doesn't come to abolish it. He doesn't come to just throw it out. He came to fulfill it. And Matthew 5, 19 says, Therefore anyone 
or whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, God designed the law for in following it, his people would be blessed. So Christ came to fulfill it. And now through Christ, through the in-power, indwelling Holy Spirit, by his grace, we can walk in obedience to the will of the Father. It's no longer striving, it's no longer effort or works. It's by his grace that we can walk in obedience. But it's only a law of liberty if you allow it to be the mirror to see into your soul, to recognize where you need growth, where you need help. You see, without recognizing our sin and our dysfunction, there will be no repentance. But repentance is the key to breaking strongholds in our lives. It's one of the keys. I want to be like the psalmist that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me. See if there's anything grievous in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The law of liberty is going to bring freedom to the one who allows it to pierce our soul, to reveal the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. James says that the one who looks into the perfect law, allowing them to be changed, being a doer of it, they will be blessed. So as we wind down, I hope you'll see the heart of the Father, that he longs for you to walk in blessing, in the power of his grace. That's his intention with each one of us. Lord, I just want to thank you today. First, I thank you for the perfect law of liberty. I thank you that today you have given us grace and power to obey your will, to obey your ways. And Lord, I pray that you forgive us where we've been apathetic, where we've been just been checking off the, the box of devotions instead of being a doer of the word. So Lord, we say, come and reign on us. Come and reign. we don't want to be a people distracted, sidetracked because of things that are still rooted in our character. Lord, we want to be a people sold out for the kingdom, on mission for the kingdom. So Lord, today where my brothers and sisters struggle even maybe with a stronghold of anger, with rage, stand in your throne room your blood covers them today the enemy try may the enemy may try to declare guilt over them but you say they are mine they are forgiven my grace is enough for them and so Lord today we stand in your authority to uproot anger in Jesus name we acknowledge it we repent of it place anger with your spirit of grace with a grace to hear with a grace to understand with a grace to quiet ourselves to know what you are saying we 
honor you, we bless you, we love you. In Jesus' name.